So um, thank you to Jackie for our cool title. Uh, <laughs> I could not, I'm like, I, don't ask me to come, I'm like not the title uh, creator. <laughs> and uh, this was, this nailed it. So I wanted to really talk about, um, in the, with the backdrop of Tuba Av, which just happened this past Thursday night, speak about it just for a few minutes by way of introduction in terms of like what, what we're really celebrating on Tuba Av and um, segue into, you know, finding a soulmate. So, um, why, what do we, what, what's Tuba Av about? Anyone know? What do we do, what's this, what are we celebrating on, on Tuba Av, the 15th of Av? Love. Anyone have any ideas? Love. Love. I feel like we were forgiven for the sin of Excellent, okay, right, we are forgiven for the sin of H.com, go H, okay? So yes, we were forgiven for the sin of the spies. So if you look at actually your first um, source on the source sheet, so it's from a Gemara and Tanit, everyone has a sheet. So it talks about Tuba'av, okay? And I'll just read, um, right, Rosh Shimon ben Gamliel said, they're never, I copied and pasted, pasted this instead of translating it myself, so the grammar is, I'm gonna correct the grammar as I read. Okay, there never was in Israel a greater day of joy than the 15th of Av and the Day of Atonement. What's the Day of Atonement? Yom Kippur, okay? So the greatest days of joy, right? Two, two days, Yom Kippur and Tuba Av. Okay, this is what the Gemara is drawing a comparison um, between these two days. On these days, the daughters of Jerusalem used to walk out in white garments, which they borrowed, in order not to put to shame anyone who had none. Okay, so basically, has anyone heard this before? On Tuba, um, women would, go, single women would go out in the streets and in, dressed in white and dance in the streets looking for a marriage partner. So what, what was this? Uh, you know, it sounds like a kind of interesting spectacle um, for ancient times. Uh, not something that, I don't know, I would necessarily imagine taking place in like a very, um, you know, historical Jerusalem with the temple. Okay, what, what, what's, really, what's really going on here? So just very briefly, okay, Rachel mentioned this idea that on, on Yom Kippur, on, sorry, on Tuba Av, we were forgiven for the sin of the spies, right? The spies went into the lands of Israel, uh, Moshe sent out, sent out spies, of course, on the, they requested, to, when we were about to enter the land of Israel, there was a, a, a fear about what we would face when we were going into the land of Israel. So there was a suggestion, let's go send out spies when we, and before we take the whole nation and try to conquer the land of Israel. So they sent out spies, and this was considered to be a, a lack of faith. On, part, on the part of the Jewish people, that we didn't trust that, Hashem, that God would not take us into a, a, a place that we wouldn't be able to, to conquer. He's done all these miracles for us and you think he's gonna just you know, send you, you know, to, the, to, to be slaughtered, uh, right? So that, that was considered a, a lack of faith on our part. So we were on Tuba Av, we were forgiven for the sin of the spies. And on Yom Kippur, Although what were we, the, the classic, obviously today we say, right, every Yom Kippur we're, after going through the whole process of, of tshuva, we are also forgiven for our sins. 
but right classically in the in the Chumash on Yom Kippur we were we were forgiven for what anyone know what we were forgiven for on Yom Kippur Right, very good. Don't hesitate. Okay, right? <laughs> um, right, we were forgiven for the sin of the golden calf. Okay, when we were, before Moses didn't come down from the mountain at the time that we expected that he would come down. And in the meantime, right, we, not we, because the women were actually not part of either sin. We were not part of the sin of the spies, nor were we were part of the sin of the golden calf. But collectively, the Jewish people, pretty much, okay, ladies weren't involved either, but okay, the Jewish people got together and um, built this, this golden calf, which was supposed to serve as an intermediary in the, before, right, for Moses. Since we didn't have, have Moshe, we wanted to have something that we could turn to and look up to and, and, and uh, you know, serve as some sort of intermediary between us and, and God. So um, this Gemara actually lists um, other um, historical occurrences that happened on Tuba Av. I don't want to get into all of them, but um, there was, we were forgive. there was now the, the, at a certain point in time historically, we were not allowed to intermarry between tribes. Um, so that ban was lifted uh, the, after the, the revolt during the time of, of Bar Kokhba, if you went to Masada on any of your trips, okay, I'm sure you saw Right, they had there was the Bar Kokhba revolt there, so the Romans did not let us bury the dead from from um, from that revolt. And many years later, we were allowed to bury the dead. That also happened on Tuba Av. So the Gemara goes through other six, namely six, okay, six specific um, historical, um, you know, I don't know if you call them necessarily miracles, not necessarily miracles, but um, you know. Episodes that, that happened throughout in our in our Jewish history, but most famously, Tuba Ad is known for the, this idea that women would go out and dance on the streets wearing wearing white. So what is really going on here? Less than a week ago, right? It was it was Tisha B'Av. We were sitting on the floor, mourning, right, lamenting for right. Ev- really, almost every Jewish calamity can be you know, brought, shown that it stems from this day, from Tisha B'Av, right? Where we feel alone, isolated, completely, right, separate from, from God's embrace. And then a week later, we're just up and partying. You know, I kind of think about it, you know, uh, I thank God I've never sat Shiva, but, um, you know, to just imagine a person sitting Shiva and you know, okay, you get up from you get up from you know you just had the funeral, and as soon as Shiva's over, you're like out dancing on the streets, looking for looking for a good guy, you know, looking for a good time. It doesn't somehow it doesn't sound right. You, you, you hear what I'm saying? So, oftentimes in life, I find right, we have to hit rock bottom before we're able to start the climb up. So of course, my example is always about food. I'm so sorry that I'm obsessed with food, but I really am. (laughs) Um, I just like to eat good food. So um, for me, like I know when I want to lose weight, I have to get to a point where I'm like really so dissatisfied with my body right now that I now have the willpower to say I'm not going to eat this, okay? And only when I get to that point can I, can I feel like, okay, now I'm ready to you know, not eat, not indulge in whatever, whatever it may be. 
So that's a light example. I figured to get a little bit off of something heavy. Okay, but right, you see it with alcoholics, drug addicts, you know, which, whichever um, realm you wanna, you, you wanna, um, you know, make have this uh, exercise in. So um, similarly with the Jewish people, okay, we we hit rock bottom on Tisha B'Av, and then do we start to make the climb upwards? So. Um, when Tuba'av hits, when Tuba'av comes, we start to begin the process of reunification between us and God, right, the Jewish people and God, right, the Jewish people collectively and God. But also, we mirror this in a relationship between husband and wife. So I know that only a couple, three hey girls uh, were we were at a Shabbaton this past uh, this past Shabbos, and I know that um, uh, Mrs. Silver, Rabbison Silver, Hannah Silver, referenced Shir Hashirim in one of her in one of her classes, being the right the the storyline of the relationship between God and the Jewish people. But what's the the, the model that the Shir Hashirim uses is this model of a man and a woman. So, right, we also begin this process to start our, our reuniting, mirroring our relationship right between the Jewish people and God. So now let's get into a little bit about marriage. So tell me, why do people get married? Why? Why are you interested? Why, why are you interested in getting? You don't have to tell me why you specifically. That's why I'm saying people. Why, why do people get married? Why are people interested in getting married? Have a family. That's nice. What's nice about having a family? Companionship. Yeah. Companionship brings you a lot of love and joy. Okay, brings love, joy. Anything else? Don't all shout at once. A support system. Okay, a support system, right? You feel like you're not on your own, right? So the truth is, the Arizal, um, who was a, really the, the uh, he's the one who brought Kabbalistic teachings more accessible, okay, made them uh, through, through, his, through his books. So he lives in the, in the 16th century, died at a very young age, died at 38, um, but he is really largely responsible for um, making the teachings of Kabbalah understandable to us. So the deep Kabbalistic answer that, that the Arizal gives as to why people get married is because it's hard to walk through life alone. Okay? Not very romantic, okay? But the bottom line is it's hard to be alone. It's not so easy to go through life alone. So, um, right, in general, right, if this, is, if this is how we're looking at marriage, which is not a very, um, you know, Hollywood-esque, or novel type of uh, you know way of looking at marriage. Like what 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 are we really trying? What are we trying to do here? So the idea behind marriage on a very again not not necessarily a um, a romantic way of looking at marriage is that you want to you want to look for somebody. Hello. Oh, I wish I knew you were here. Thank you. I have something for Liz. Are you leaving? Okay, go. Goodbye. <laughs> um, 
So you're looking for somebody who can take some of the burden of life off of your shoulders. Okay? Very unromantic. We'll try and make it a little more romantic later, maybe. Okay? But you're looking for somebody, right, who can take care of your needs on some level, physically, materially, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, and somebody who you also can give to and can, and can take some of that burden off of them. Okay? That there should be, a, because really a life without giving is not a life. Okay, so more than it is about what we're saying from a different perspective of, oh, I want a support system, I want love, I want joy, I'm looking for a relationship, yes, where someone can give, can give to me and take some of that burden off of me, but I want to look for somebody who I feel like I can give to them as well and take care of their needs, okay? Now, um, when dating, I, you know, when I was dating, at least, I'll make it a little personal. Um, I remember speaking to friends of mine and myself when I was going through the dating process, like I'm looking for the one, right? Who is, like this is, right? do we need any more of a description? Like he should just be it, like this is it, this is the one. When I, I wanna know when I'm dating that this is the one I'm supposed to marry. So by way of hands, okay, who thinks that that's a fair expectation? Like is that, is that, and I think for some people it's possible by the way, but is that, is, that, is that something we should be looking for? Like, do we feel like we need to have that emotion before we can walk down the aisle? Yeah? yeah. yeah? Need to have that feeling. I need to know that this is it. I don't think a lot of people have that feeling. I think a lot of it is very romanticized by popular culture. A lot of my friends were very anxious right before their weddings and it turned out well. I'm included. <laughs> okay, I I would definitely um, you know put myself in that in that in that group, but I will say that I was also looking for that, and I I was nervous because I didn't have that. So I'm trying to dispel a little bit. Okay, and again, I think some people do have this. I had a, I have a friend who came to me after her first date. I mean, I was already married. I already had two kids. I was married for a while, and I remember her coming over after her first date, and she told me. I met him. This is it. They went, went out on one date. She's like, but I know, I know this is it. And they got married, and it's wonderful, and it's great. They have their, she's a close friend, so I know that there's challenges also. Um, because every, every, everything in life comes with challenges. Okay, but, right? So she had that feeling. I'm not saying you cannot have that feeling. Um, I know someone who had that feeling, and they ended up getting divorced. Okay, so, right, it's, it's, it's not about that feeling of, of having this, yes, I know, this is, this is it, this is the one. Right, and then they break like, up. Oh, I knew it, of course. <laughs> exactly. You know, so it's like, uh, obviously this is the one, it could have been the last 20 also, but you just kept having that feeling. Okay, great. Okay, so now I want to look a little bit more deeply at what this concept really means. What it means... To find, what, what, what is this concept of feeling like, yes, this is it, this is, this is the one. So if you look at the second source from the Zohar, um, you know, I, I'm assuming a lot of us are familiar with the concept of uh, a soul being divided into male and female, right? There being like two halves, so to speak, of a soul, right? This idea of there's a, there's a male half and a female half of a soul. So individually, we each carry on some metaphysical, spiritual level, whatever this means, like a half soul, right? So
So this idea really comes from the Zohar, and this is what I want to look at next. Does someone want to read? Make it more interesting? Can I hear my voice? Great, go for it. Um, for we have learned that when God sends souls into the world, they are formed into pairs of male and female, and thus united are placed in the hands of an emissary who has charge, who has charge of conception. After that, they are separated and subsequently taken down among mankind, not always both at the same time. When their time of marriage arrives, God, who knows each spirit and soul, joins them as, of, as at first and proclaims their union. Thus, when they are joined, they become one body and one soul, right and left in unison. Okay, great. So I'm assuming, right, I'll just recap what this says, and I think this is, uh, you know, it's at least, this is basically how I understood it until I did a little bit more research on the topic. All right, before conception, right, there's, uh, you know, there's this soul in heaven, okay, somewhere up there, and, and um, there's, the soul is split, okay, half into a male, potential male child, half into a potential female child, when the time comes for the children, these two halves to be born, and right, it could be that they're born at different times. Okay, they, they mazel tov to the parents of the boy, mazel tov to the parents of the girl. These people go, they live in their homes with their, you know, separate families, personalities, could be, you know, across, halfway across the world from each other. Okay, and then when the time comes for marriage, these two half souls reunite only at the time of the of the chuppah okay is that somewhat sound like what you've conceptually heard of up until now or maybe you haven't heard of anything but like that's typically what what i've heard yeah no okay so the truth is obviously there's uh, there's truth to this but i i did a little bit of research um uh, with uh, i don't know if you were here for elisa bulow you heard for elisa bulow um, and so based on conversations I've had with her and Derech Hashem, looking in Derech Hashem, um, really souls are much more complex, which uh, makes a little sense that we wouldn't get it just like that in a paragraph. <laughs> Not that we'll get much more now, but we'll have, we'll have, we'll have some, a, a, a somewhat of a deeper understanding. So all souls really come from one root source. Right? All souls come from the first man being Adam Harishon, right? So all souls come from, come from Adam. And obviously when I'm saying Adam, that includes Eve, that includes Chava, because she was part of the original, original man. And um, later, through the process of Yitziat Mitzrayim, at, right, coming out of Egypt and, and receiving the Torah at Mount Sinai, at Har Sinai, so there became a collective Jewish soul, okay, which was divided into 600,000 souls. Now, how many Jews do we have today? More than 600,000. <laughs> okay, whatever it is. I don't know how many million. Maybe someone has done their Pew study homework better than I have. I don't know what this, the stats are. Um, 12 million, 13 million, maybe less, 10 million. I'm not sure what it is, but it's well more than, than 600,000. So at this point in history, we're basically a conglomeration of chips of different souls, okay? Possibly many souls, I don't know how many, right? It could be two, four, six, eight, 10, 50, I have no idea, right? But we're basically chips of different souls. So you could be a conglomeration of 
your great-grandmother Sarah and your great-aunt uh, you know Rivka and you know I don't know you know a whole bunch of people that are perhaps from your from your you know genetical line and also right maybe maybe farther maybe farther out maybe not necessarily within your family but also farther farther out in terms of your your circles you know I, I'm very I feel that when I meet somebody so growing up I could tell like you know you meet somebody and you can tell yeah I'm gonna be friends with them like we clicked right we had a connection not with guys take take men out of the picture I'm saying just with girlfriends right you're at an event at a youth group at a, on campus you're Right, and you meet somebody, and you're, you know, like you first, and you're like, yeah, I feel like I really connected with that person. I can see, like, you feel like you could, you're going to be, this friendship is going to go somewhere. So probably, right, according to this idea, you come from a similar place, okay, so to speak, a, a closer place in terms of this collective Jewish soul. If we're thinking of, if you want to think of a person like Adam Harishon, is this represents has all the souls within within him. So maybe you come from a similar place within within Azam Harishon, and there's there's more of a connection. And you ever find like you know, I mean, obviously there's um, what is it, six levels of separation or five levels of se- whatever the six. Okay, right. So we know you know once you start to talk to somebody, you start to, oh yeah, there's this connection, there's that connection, and you start to feel like that circle kind of gets gets closer. Um, and I've seen this many times in many different instances um, throughout throughout my life personally. So if we're talking about soulmates, so I want to just define, a, do a little bit of, of, of defining of terms. Are you here familiar with the word, the, the term zivug or zivug? Okay, so a zivug um, actually in, in certain places in, in um, Jewish thought and philosophy and Jewish books of law, the zivug can actually refer to the intimate relationship between husband and wife which I'm not, it's not what we're going to be referring to. It could refer to the other half, right? Your, right, a, a zivug is, is a partner, okay? But here, when we're talking about it, it's like, it's your, it's your other half, okay? Um, in the context of the Zohar, which we just read, there's only one zivug, right? There's only one, there's only one other half, okay? But what I'm suggesting is that really a person could have hundreds, dozens, tens, I don't know, pick a number, of potential soulmates, okay, basher, so you heard the term basher, okay, right, potential, what? Suitors. Suitors, but not just a suitor, I mean someone who you could, suitor someone who's just trying to go out with you, <laughs> but I mean someone who could actually, you could, you could marry, in the context of souls, what we're speaking about, you could marry a lot of different people. Why? This is why you could go out with a guy and feel like he's the one, break up with him, go out with another guy and feel like he's the one, because there's another, there's more chips that are similar in certain situations, right? You'll have a, a more common chips and less common chips. I, the re, what, what spurred me to do a little bit of research about this was I had a bride that I was teaching that um, she was, basically like the last class before she was getting married, maybe the second to last class. And she was, she was in her 30s, she wasn't like, she's dated a while. 
And she had a relationship where in her early 20s where she really felt like this guy was her soulmate, her basher. And she, he was already married with children, like, you know, totally settled in his life. And she really felt like she, this was who she was supposed to be with. And she was having, took a long t- it took her a long time to get to a place where she was ready to get engaged um, to anybody, let alone this person. But she still had reservations. She was still thinking about this, this guy from, you know, a decade ago who was already married and with, you know, living with children and li- living a life. Not like she n- didn't want to cross paths with him. She made it, you know, she had, oper- there, you know, through work there was, a, you know, a possibility of her crossing. She made sure to avoid him because she wasn't, like she was, wasn't trying to break anything up or anything like that. But she herself, mentally, she started to tell me how she felt like she didn't know how she was going to go into this mar- marriage wholeheartedly because she felt like in the back of her mind, she was still wondering if, you know, this was all one big mistake on his part and on her part, that they really should have been together. And this is what, what actually, this conversation is what um, led me to really do a little bit of research about this idea of souls and, and, and feeling like this connection and what does it really mean if I do feel there's, there's a connection with somebody but it's not there fully with somebody else. So the truth is, is Right. She could have felt that there was a stronger connection to this other guy. Maybe I'm not. I, I don't doubt anything that she told me. That she really felt like this was it and this was the one. For whatever reason, he ended it. And um, it could be that there were a large number of shared chips, so to speak, that she that made her feel like this was how they were relating so deeply and had such a deep connection to each other. And that with the guy who she was with now, maybe there weren't as many chips, okay, that they shared in common as she did with this with the previous relationship. But the bottom line is, is she could make it work, okay? Until you get underneath the chuppah, right? He's not your basher. And what ends up happening is there is underneath the chuppah, there is a spiritual reconfiguration that takes place that makes this half soul fit with the other, this other half soul. So even if there are jagged edges, I actually went, my son, uh, we thought he broke his finger, thank God he didn't, but we went to this uh, really fun, cool office on, uh, across from Central Park on Fifth Avenue um, yesterday, and they made him a splint. And I've never seen this before, uh, maybe it's just because it's the city, but um, they, they cut out plastic to mold it, like they wanted Speaker to be in a certain position based on his injury, and they put they cut the plastic and then they put it in this um, boiling, like this machine, it's called a splint maker, and it's very uh, high-tech name, and uh, it's basically water that's at like 162 degrees, because just the display of the temperature was on the screen, I got to see, and then she smooths, she smooths the, the edges Right after you know after cutting the splint, so this is exactly what happens underneath the chuppah. I was like, oh, what a good mashal. Okay, right underneath the chuppah, and like all the edges are smoothed, right to now make a perfect a perfect fit. So the potential, um, hold on one second. 
Okay, so the potential for for the relationship, right, to be a perfect fit is sort of created underneath the chuppah, but the work of the marriage is to, is to actualize it, right, is to make these two halves really unite and come together, and that's the work, the work of the relationship. So um, our marriages, right, given, given this backdrop, okay, so our marriage is made in heaven or on earth. Are, are they made? With this announcement that's made 40 days, right? There's a famous Gemara that says 40, 40 days before a child is conceived, which is what the Zohar was referencing, right? There's a, a voice that calls out a bakol, a, a heavenly voice that declares, this one is destined for this one, right? Uh, Jane is destined for Jean, which would make it seem like this announcement is made in heaven. So clearly, right? Marriages are made in heaven, right? This is where this it's predetermined. This is who I'm going to marry. But on the other hand, right? Uh, if it, I didn't hear the voice, right? It would have made my dating process a lot easier, and I'm sure everyone else is, right? Just look them up in the phone book, okay? Right? So, like, what, 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 what's the idea of that? So, look at this next source. Oh, where's my sheet here? Okay, look at the Gemara and Sota. Someone else want to read? Thanks. Um, R is Rav. Okay. Yeah, uh, yes, it's Rabbi. Okay. Rav. Rabbi Samuel. Ben. Ben, Rabbi Isaac said, when Resh Lakish began to expound the subject of Sota, he spoke thus. First victim. <laughs> they only pair a woman with a man according to his deeds. Rabbi Ben Barhana said, the name of Rabbi Jonathan. Yochanan, right? It is as difficult to pair them as was the division of the Red Sea. But it is not so. For Rab Judah has said in the name of Rab, 40 days before the creation of a child, a bat pole issues for the proclaims, the daughter of A is for B, the house of C is for D. The field of E is for F. There is no contradiction. The latter dictum referring to... Okay, wait, hold on. Stop right there for one second. Do you hear the contradiction? Meaning, it's a little bit wordy, obviously, because it's the Talmud. Okay, but basically what's being... What's just I want to make sure we understand what's being, what's being expressed in the, in, in the Gemara. He's saying that really, right, well, that's why I have it underlined, according to his deeds. On the one hand, it seems like, no, you determine your actions are going to determine who you're going to marry, right? You have to, you have to make the decision, right? Yes, I will marry this person. No, I will not marry this person, right? Oh, I'll go out on a second date or I won't go out on a, on a second date, right? It seems like it's your, your actions that, that determine it. But on the other hand, Right, like what the Zohar said before, and what what he brings down here, forty days before the creation of a child, right? A bakol announces, right? A heavenly voice announces, no, you're destined for this one. So it, it seems to be a contradiction. On the one hand, is is it really that my actions, my my choices, will determine who I marry, or is it that there's an announcement made in heaven? Okay, which one is it? Do you, so that that's the contradiction. So then he says, no, there is no contradiction. How is there no contradiction? Go ahead. Um, Sorry. The latter is <laughs> referring to a first marriage, uh, Zibut, and the former to a second marriage, Zibut. 
okay. Everyone want to get married twice? <laughs> right? And did you, that was very funny. My, I, I, I was laughing. I didn't realize. My husband announced at this uh, Shabbaton this past weekend when, he, when he, he's, thank God, is involved in a lot of marriages, which is like a fun thing to be involved in. So when he meets a couple, they're typically, you know, from a secular background. And um, the first thing he'll say, like the first meeting, not the first thing, but within in the first meeting, um, you know, he he tells these couples, you know, that, you know, why do you want to get married? You know, what 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 are you what are you looking for? Like, what do you want to what, what are you trying to achieve? Like, why would you even want to get married? Like, 75% of marriages end up in divorce. You know, like if you would, if every, if anyone told you, like, would you fly a plane if you knew that 75% of them were crashing? <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. I'd be so fun you to marry them. Um, okay, so right, I'm not looking to get married twice. Like, what's this? What's this talking about? Okay, first marriage and second marriage. So, um, the. It could be that this is referring to actual first and second marriage for those people who marry twice, okay? But, okay, I prefer to understand it according to the last source, according to the Kedat, actually, oh, whatever, we'll skip the second one, according to the Kedat Yitzchak, if you look at the bottom, okay? And the Malbum, okay, who talk about a different kind of marriage. So someone else wanna read or? It's not as wordy because it's not a Gemara. Thank you, Nicole. Go for it. The intention. The intention when it is stated, one is for the first match and one is for the second match, refers to two different kinds of matches which pertain to a person. The first refers to the nature of a person with regard to substance and form which is found in every human being. As it says, male and female, he created them and he called their name Adam. That's what is called the first match. Okay, so what's that talking about? Okay, the first zivug, according to the Kedat Yitzchak, is talking about a, bo- a body and a soul. Okay, really, there was a shit. There was a shidduch that was made to put your soul into your particular body. Okay, your soul, your body, is the perfect toolbox for your soul in terms of looks intelligent, the home you were born into, the parents, the, um, the, the, the um, economic bracket, the social circles, okay? That, this, this, this vessel, okay, and the soul that was put into this vessel, that's what's talking about the first match. So the first match we said, right, is, where's, where's this, oh, here's the source sheet, right? The first match we said, is talking about, right, that's the one that is predetermined, so to speak, okay? That's the one that God was in charge of, okay? Who you marry, that is according to your actions, according to your deeds, according to your choices. And this is why also perhaps you've heard this concept, oh, right, you have more than one bashert, okay, right? You There's seven, I've heard different numbers, okay? Maybe seven. I don't know whatever numbers you've heard. Okay, um, so what's what's the idea behind that? How do you have more than one? Well, it depends which path you take in life. Okay, which choices you make that will veer you into a, into a different 
right, a different path and will then introduce you to a different circle of people. So um, that's, that's what we're talking about when we're talking about um, the zivug, the first and the second. Now, um, looking at the context of a batkol, the uh, if you look if you look inside, I just thought it was interesting, right? He says the daughter, right? Forty days before the creation of a child, the batkol issues forth and proclaims, "The daughter of A is for B, the house of C is for D, the field of E is for F." Meaning, it seems like there's a number of things that are already predetermined. Not just who I'm going to marry, or if we're saying which soul, which soul will go into which body, what house I'm going to live in, right? The location, the type of work, right? The field, okay. So one implication of this, and this isn't only this isn't mine. I actually heard this from Edison Heller, is that um, the same way you would look for a house is how you should look for a husband. Okay, this is the unromantic. The unromantic approach. Okay, in what sense? Okay, so obviously emotions have to be in place. All right, you obviously have to. Uh, no one wants you to marry somebody that you don't feel emotionally for. Although I will say, I think we had this conversation when you were at my house. I don't remember. Um, you know, historically with the arranged arranged marriages, emotions were not what we expect them to be today. Okay, my grandparents had an arranged marriage. Um, my grandmother was 16, my grandfather was 38. Um, she wasn't really so excited about it. She wanted to finish school. She wanted to do other, she wanted to be a, a child still. Um, but, you know, she didn't, I guess, vehemently oppose. So um, the, ma the marriage went through. Um, is it your, Hollywood depiction of like what a marriage would look like? Certainly not. Um, you know, speaking, my parents have both passed away, um, but I, I spoke to my grandmother about it a little bit. What? No, my, grand, my grandparents, my father's parents, actually. Um, and, you know, she spoke about marriage with an attitude of like, well, this is what it is, and as long as you're committed, like it doesn't really matter. He's a good person, you make it work. Okay, now I'm not suggesting, I'm certainly not suggesting that, you know, I, I'm assuming your parents aren't trying to uh, set you up with someone that, are they? <laughs> okay, marry you off that quickly to the person of their, of their choice anyway. But, right, there's, what, what I do think, what I took away from it was an attitude of, there's a com sense of commitment here no matter what. If he's a good person, okay, and you know you have a system that's working, so then I'm committed to this. And I think that's something that we're lacking today. Okay, is this idea of real commitment? Um, so that that's that's one idea. But what? How do we how do we go about looking for a husband if we're talking about the way we go about looking for a house? So when you're, uh, so many of you moved to the city, right? And you were looking for a place to live, right? So when you're looking for a place to live. What are you looking for? Go ahead. What? A nice view. A, a nice view? Come on. I don't believe you. You're looking for price range. I know what you're looking for. <laughs> uh -huh. what, what? Location. Location, location, location. Anyone who's done real estate knows you're looking for location. What else are you looking for? Community. 
what neighborhood do I want to be in? Okay, if you want to live in New York City, so then you're not looking at ads in, you know, Cleveland, right? Ohio, what are you, okay, what else? Amenities. I didn't hear? Amenities, which is, okay, I need to have this amount of bedrooms. I want, uh, you know, a kitchen with a dishwasher, okay, right? I need, okay, what else? Layout, okay, everybody has the things that they need. Okay, I need, I need a particular layout, layout, or I cannot have run-down bathrooms. I need to have, you know, remodeled bathrooms. Like, everyone has their, their thing. Other people, like, yeah, I don't care about the bathrooms. I care more about the view, okay? And they're willing, everybody has their needs that they're looking for. Does anyone think that, the, the, does anyone think that they're going to find the perfect house or apartment? I hope not, <laughs> okay? Because it doesn't exist, okay? There's no such thing as a perfect house. There's no such thing as a perfect man. And if I'm gonna be the first one to tell you, I'm sorry, but you're not perfect either. Okay, I really unfortunately thought I was pretty darn close while I was a college roommate. But then when I got married, I was like, when I was a roommate, I'm like, yeah, you could do whatever you want. I was like the clean one, my roommate was messy. You know, I was the one like, you know, washing the dishes after I, you know, cooked in the kitchen and, you know, she left them there and it didn't bother me. But when I got married, I was like, yeah, I'm going to be like the best wife because I'm so chilled and like, I, like, no. <laughs> okay, rude awakening for both of us. Um, so, right, we, we're, not, we're not perfect. We're all, we're all here as a work in progress. For here, we're supposed to be a work in progress. So, um, right, is it possible that there's a better house out there than the one that you rented already or the one that you bought? You bet, I bet there's one that's, you could've, if you just would've waited another week, you could've gotten that one that has, you know, it was cheaper and it had a nicer bathroom, okay? But like, that, that's not the way we function. You're not moving a week later just because there was something else that was on sale. Okay, and you're not leaving the relationship just because you saw a guy who like had whiter teeth. Okay, that's just, it's not, it's not the way we work. So, um, are there people who don't marry? Yeah, okay, there are, there are some. There are some who don't marry. Why, why is this so? So there could be a whole number, right? There's lots of different reasons. Okay, it could be that um, they walked by their potential potential mate is actually um, an interesting story I told I, I heard um, about uh, a, a yeshiva a guy learning in yeshiva who went to a big rabbi Rechaim Kanievsky a big rabbi in Bnei Brak and he went in for a bracha to, fi to find his wife so Rechaim Kanievsky gave him a bracha you should find your wife this year so he left right feeling like he got what he needed and it was going to be a great year and a year passed and he wasn't married so he went back to Chaim Kanievsky and he said uh, I don't know if you recognize me I don't know if you know but you know I was here last year and uh, he said yes he says you didn't get married and he said shook his head he said no so I didn't I didn't find my Bashir he says you could have gotten married but you walked by Okay, so is could we walk by? 
that was a horrible story? No, it's not horrible. I'll tell you why. <laughs> no, I don't know the end. Actually, I have no idea. I have no idea what happened. Okay, but it's not a horrible story because we have to listen. I'm, again, and I'm not suggesting that we that we settle. Okay, I, I don't like the word even to settle. But, okay, you have to know that there are people who you can walk by, right, and you have to give things an honest chance. I mean, I'll tell you another beautiful story. Um, uh, a woman who's much older already, she's probably in her upper 40s, um, if not 50, and um, a great, really talented, special, attractive woman, from, whatever, I don't want to give too much information in case you would ever run into her, even though she doesn't even live in the New York area now. But, um, you know, dating a long time, obviously. And this Shachlan suggested to her, I don't know if it was a Shachlan or a Rebetzin or somebody suggested her, think about the guys who you've already dated, okay? Is there anybody that you think that, you know, would be worth giving a go a second time? And um, she thought about this one guy, and they ended up dating again, and they got married. And thank God she had children. She had twins. She was already she was already in her in her lower fifties. So, meaning that sometimes we have to we have to be open. It just means being open, okay? Being open a little bit. You guys are young, okay? You have you're like my children, almost. <laughs> um, you know, like you, you, have the, but but realizing that you know, there's there's people out there that we have to be open to, right? We have to, we have to, sometimes we have to see a little bit a little bit broader. So, um, why would somebody walk past their potential zivug? Because of an illusion, okay? And this is really I'm I'm generalizing. Some people are just meant to be single. You know, um, do you ever hear of Sarah Schneer? Okay, so Sarah Schneer was the a woman who started the Beis Yaakov movement. She basically is responsible for Jewish women's education today, and uh, she was she was actually divorced. Okay, and when she started the Beis Yaakov school system, she was not married. Okay, she was somebody. Maybe God put her in this position that she could give to the Jewish people in a you know in a in a different way. So I'm not saying that you know there's there's a recipe for for everybody necessarily that it has to go in this path, but we have to realize yes we want to be open, b while we are single we want to be maximizing our time and not just sitting there twiddling our thumbs waiting right we have we have so much to give and to contribute and to do for the people around us and our, our families our friends and the and the world around us. Okay, so um, but the biggest problem I find for older singles, typically, is that they're looking for something that's unrealistic, okay? They're looking for something, for, they're looking for perfection. And that's very unfair, because nothing's perfect out there. And um, I'll just share, I'll share one other story, because I think it's actually so beautiful. The, um, the, the previous Babavar Rebbe, it was a Hasidish a uh, um, leader of the Baba Hasidim, so at his at his funeral, um, there was somebody who noticed that the, uh, a a man of color, a black man, as part of the you know 
there for the for the eulogies to be part of part of the funeral. And it was interesting, you know, not typical. Um, you know, you don't expect to see so many. This is you know in Borough Park, okay. You know, you don't expect to see uh, so many black people at the Bubaver Rebbe's uh, levaya at his at his funeral. So later, this person went over to this to this man, and he said, um, you know, I'm just curious, what's your what's your connection to to the Rebbe? So he said, he pulled out his wallet, and you know they have uh, like like boys collect baseball cards, and right, so there's actually Rebbe cards. So this black man pulled out his wallet, and he he pulled he showed him uh, he had a, he had a, a, a bub of a Rebbe card in his wallet, and he said what. <laughs> You go, you're going to Borough Park to buy some baby cards? <laughs> so he says, um, he says, yeah, you know, I actually, I'm a, I'm a painter. And I was really just starting out, I put some ads, you know, on a paper, and someone, you know, I guess from his office, probably has like a secretary or something, called him. And he came to paint, uh, to paint the Rebbe's house. So when he came in the morning, the Baba Rebbe answered the door and he let him in. And he said, the first thing he said to me was, did you eat breakfast? So um, he said, actually, no, I, I didn't. So he says, please come sit down, have breakfast with me. And he pulls out, you know, cottage cheese and herring and, you know, I don't <laughs> know, like Hasidish delicacies, right, to give to the, to give to the Rebbe. And, uh, you know, afterwards, so you know, the first day you're not painting, you're just putting out the drop down the drop cloths and you know, uh, filling in any holes or anything. So you, you know, at the end of the day, you know, so the next sorry, the next day he comes back and uh, he says, you know, I know, I know you're going to ask me, like, I, I, I ate breakfast already, you know, thank you. And he says, okay, he's like, you know, I just want to tell you one other thing, you know. You know, as a painter, I'm sure, you know, you want this job to be like a perfect job. But I want you to know, it doesn't have to be perfect. Right? We Jews, a long time ago we had a temple. And that temple, that was perfect. But since then, nothing else in this world is perfect. So don't, don't worry about it. If, you know, there's a little uh, white spot over there or something, you know, something that you miss. So, you know, he was never very uh, interesting experience. Next time he goes to a Jewish family and he walks in and the guy pulls him over and he says, I know, I know, you're, you, you want to know if I had breakfast. Mm -hmm. And he's like, no, 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 I, <laughs> that's okay. He's like, I just want you to know that I'm paying top dollar for this paint job and I want to make sure that it's perfect. <laughs> so he says, really? He says, my understanding is that the only thing that was ever perfect was the temple that you Jews once had, right, a couple thousand years ago. Okay, so right, he realized what a unique and special person, right, the Bab of Arevi is. Now, why am I telling you the story? Because we have to realize nothing's perfect, okay, and we can't expect to look for perfection. So that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking even this, the story about, you know, the guy who went to Chaim Kanievsky and he told him, yeah, you walked by them. That's somebody who's looking for perfection. Okay, so that's the only thing you want to be wary of. So how do you know which imperfections to live with? And let's just get, we'll get practical for the, for the last few minutes. Okay, which things have to be in place? Okay, when you're, when you're looking for, when you're looking for somebody. 
So first of all, you have to like the person. I know that sounds kind of obvious or silly, but it can't be somebody who other people like, or like who sounds great on paper, or like, you know, he's somebody your parents would like, or your teachers would like. You have to be somebody you really enjoy spending time with. Right? So I, when I, I talk to girls, and usually like the first date is sometimes, oftentimes, a little, you know, if you're set up, it's a blind date, it could be a little bit awkward, and you're just like, okay, what are you talking about? Family, friends, things. And then the second date maybe is like a little bit more comfortable. By the third date, you have to do, I mean, this is, you don't have to, this is just, I mean, this is not Torah, this is just an idea, right? At some point soon, you want to do something where you can make sure that you actually like spending time with this guy. So go do something fun, right? I would say, like, don't just go out to eat and like have a drink, like do something. See if you could have a good time together. Like you want to live the rest of your life with this person, make sure you like him and you enjoy spending time with him. So, um, right, you need to, you need to like him. Um, secondly, you need to respect him. Okay, he, you, he has to be somebody that you respect. Typically, okay, women want to feel loved and cherished. Okay, they want to feel beloved. They also want to feel respected, but they want to feel like they're, like they're loved by, by their spouse. Men also want to feel loved, but more importantly, they want to feel that they're respected. Okay, it's, you want to call it male ego, you want to call it, you know, what, but the bottom line is a man needs to feel respected. If he doesn't feel respected, he won't feel good about himself and that won't be healthy or good for the, for the relationship or the marriage. So um, you can't just like him, you have to also need, you also need to be able to respect him. Now one thing I will say is you can change what you respect. So you might think, oh, I can only respect a guy who is earning this salary and who has a job in this field and who went to this kind of a school, okay? And you know, I can't really respect anything, anything other than that. But you actually, you could change what you respect, okay? It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to fit into this, you know, narrow picture that you that you that you had in mind. So, um, and this also, this idea of I think finding people that you are able to respect is a process that you can start now by really looking at people in general and finding something that you respect in them. Looking at people with an eye and toe, with a good eye, and seeing a part that's good in them and that's worthy of respect. Um, so you can't compromise on respect because you definitely have to respect the person, but you can change what it is that you respect. Okay, but it has to be honest. Like if you're just saying it and it's not real, then that, that, that doesn't help. Thirdly, okay, you have to have life plans and goals that are pretty much the same or at least going in the same direction. So um, if your plans are too different, then there's, there's gonna be too much friction, okay? And there'll be too much compromise later that's gonna lead to resentment. So, you know, obviously you wanna, you wanna choose somebody, you're not, no one, most people don't look exactly the same. They aren't exactly on the same page, okay? Although I actually have a friend who's dating somebody who feels like, wow, like it's insane how much they have in common and how exactly the same they are. Is it possible? Sure, it's possible. But most of the time, that's not gonna happen. You're not exactly the same. But you have to be going in the same direction. You have to feel like you have plans that are go, you know, your, your life plans that are going in the same direction and that you're headed in the same place. Um, and the last thing is attraction. 
Okay, you must be physical, physically attracted to this person because you have to get in bed with him. <laughs> okay, so right there, there has to be physical attraction. Now, there's a major difference between men and women in terms of how attraction works, as I'm sure most of you are aware. Okay, men are basically attracted either right away or never. <laughs> okay, like if they're not attracted on the first date, it's probably not going to happen on the second date or the third date. But that's not necessarily the way it works for women. Okay, typically, okay, attraction builds for us, okay, because we're much more, we're not as visual, right? This idea like men are more visual, women are more auditory, okay, what we hear, how we interact, how we, right, those things really, right, drive us in a different way and motivate us in a different way. So that's why, I mean, whatever, it doesn't matter, that's why. That, that's basically, that's basically it. So, right, obviously, if you're, repulsed on a first date, I don't suggest going out on a second date, but if there's, right, you, there was basic attraction, right, he's like a, a decent looking person, even though you didn't see like fireworks, but if you had a conversation and you felt like there was potential, it's certainly possible that the, that the attraction will grow. And if you think about, I don't know, high school, guy friends, like, I don't know, just, you know, things that potentially move, even though you're like, what do you mean? Like, I'm He's just a he's just a friend, you know. But like the more you spend time with him, then like that that kind of attraction develops. So those are the things. Really, the only four things that I think have to be in place. Um, what things can you compromise on? So I kind of alluded to this already, but the first thing is status. Okay, meaning what he does or what you know what income he makes. Okay. Um, status is artificial. It basically, it doesn't really tell you anything about who he is as a person. So sometimes, you know, oh, I only want to marry someone from this particular community or for someone who's like a similar background to me or a certain economic status or a certain field of study. Okay, all those things are really, right, the external, you know, characteristics. They don't really tell, tell you anything about who he is. You can also compromise on appearance if there's basic attraction. So meaning, like even though if you were looking, this is why I have like an aversion, again, it's just, maybe it's just me and maybe I'm outdated to like J-swipe and like these kinds of things because I feel like it's so external, it's so superficially based. Okay, I get it, I'm not knocking, you know, the, the concepts, clearly there's a, you know, a population that it, that, it, that it serves and perhaps serves well, and I hope lots of marriages come from it. But again, like we're just only, we're making a very quick decision, okay, based on like a three second glance. So, um, you know, again, I do think, even though he's not necessarily somebody I would pick out of a, you know, a, a, a photo book, if there's, if he's decent looking and there's basic, you know, like attraction can build. Um, so that's, that's another thing that could be compromised on. And the third is age, okay, because age is artificial. Now obviously if there's a huge gap, like my grandparents, which I don't recommend, um, <laughs> you know, there could be a major generational gap in terms of, those, it affects how you view the world already. I mean, honestly, okay, there were 22 years between them. I really cannot even imagine. I'm like, I don't even, I, it, actually my son is I think 22 years younger than me, yep. <laughs> He's 16, I cannot, I, I mean like, we grew up in different worlds, okay, literally. Um, what? 
that was the ages. 38 they were 30. They were yeah. I'm 38 and he's 16. Yeah. Okay. That's crazy. And was reversed the genders, but still okay. So uh, that's that's a huge age gap. But like even seven, eight years at a certain point, it doesn't matter as much. I, I happen to know people, a few people, a few couples that have a, a seven year a seven year age gap. And again, like it's something it's something that's art, that, that's artificial. So. The common thread is that you can compromise on things that are artificial, things that are, are um, you know, external. Okay, you can compromise on the outside, but you can't compromise on things that are that are on the inside. Um, what about religious differences? So religious differences, I think, pretty much fall under the the category of like life goals. Okay, so um, your religious direction should be the same. Okay, but you don't necessarily have to be in the same place right now. Okay, um, you know, yeah, let's just leave it at that. I mean, just one, one example, like, you know, if you have somebody who grew up in a very religious home and he's, you know, been exploring and like now he's, you know, on the, you know, in, in, a, in, in a certain community, in a more like modern community, but he's not really spiritually seeking, he's just kind of spreading his wings a little bit as a, with a girl who is, you know, starting to learn and is inspired and growing, okay, and looking to really develop her spiritual self in a very meaningful way, so they could look like they're in a very similar place right now, but they're not necessarily going in the same direction. So I'm not, you know, if he is spiritually searching and seeking, then great. But if he's not, then that's probably not a good a good recipe. So, um, okay. To me, you can sum this all up, okay, in, in all marriages come down in terms of making a choice to one critical question, and that is can I build something with this person, okay? Is there, is, there, is there something here that I can build with, right? Is there enough commonality that I can communicate enough with him? That is there enough commonality in terms of our personality, not to be exactly the same, but commonality that we can understand each other, commonality in values, in, in background, in understanding. So if the answer is yes, so then great, nothing else really matters because there's enough that's in place that I could actually do something here and build something meaningful with. Um, so we'll leave it, leave it at that. Um, happy post to Ba'av. <laughs> And uh, good luck in building and finding, uh, finding, finding the right one that you can, you can build and reunite with as a, as a symbol for the whole the Jewish people to come closer to Kaddish Baruch Amen. Amen. Thank you.